You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of The Guidepost. We have a quick podcast today. We're really excited to tell everyone what we were doing in Cape Cod uh, over, you know, almost a week. And I have Cody Rubner, who joined us in Cape Cod as our sound man extraordinaire, joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing, Cody? I'm doing good, man. I'll tell you... um... It, it was great to be back home, Cape. We got some beautiful weather, right, for the most part, and the events went great. So excited to talk about all that. And back in sunny Florida now, it's a little bit humid. And, uh, you know, I guess to compare the two cultures, uh, I texted you and said, hey, I'm probably going to be about two minutes late for this. I'm going to go grab, a, you know, some caffeine, grab an energy drink. And on my way to the gas station, I saw a man with a bunch of face tattoos and one leg on a scooter. So it's it's good to be back in Florida, I guess, uh, but for for different reasons than uh, Massachusetts. So I ran a test, and and <clears throat> I can do nothing but be honest. I do not have anything in particular against the population of Massachusetts or specifically Cape Cod when I tell you this, but you know, I think we found ourselves driving through residential neighborhoods while we were visiting, um, and I, I actually had a, a decent little rental car. I had a Toyota Camry, uh, so it wasn't like one of those pull start three bangers that I usually get uh, to save money when I travel. Um, and I, I did a test with Willie in the car to see how many people I could wave at until the first person waved back at me, and. Uh, I think, well, I, I kind of gave up after a while. Willie and I had a disagreement. Uh, he said one guy waved at me because everyone waves where I live. Like everyone, you drive down the street and you wave. And that's the polite thing that humans do. So as I, I waved to a nice couple walking uh, a very expensive Labradoodle, I, they looked at me. I thought they were going to call the police. Uh, Willie says that one person waved back at me. I'm pretty sure he was giving me the finger and telling me to go <laughs> in traffic, you know, at a four-way stop. Yeah. I don't, maybe by certain people's definition, that's a wave. Um, Willie said it should count as two because uh, it was so special. I'm going to say that out of like, I, I don't know, I, Cody, it was it was easily 14 or 15 people, couples, groups of people that I waved at and they all looked at me like, I was just coming back from like a four state killing spree. Well, so, you uh, know, I, th I think I should acknowledge that I actually drove from Florida <laughs> to Massachusetts and back. Right. So I got to see the entire East Coast in this lovely trip. More specifically, the East Coast is compact around 95, which is always the, uh, the shining star of the East Coast. And uh, for perspective, in New York, we got stuck in a storm, which did not help with New York close to rush hour traffic. Someone almost drove into me and almost killed me and then gave me the finger for being mad about it. So I think, you know, <laughs> we've, we've got some interesting dynamics going on up the, 
up uh, the east somebody coast. should write a somebody should write a book like you know call it like 95 north or something <laughs> We have to go north. I'm going to tell you what happened to me in the airport. Like, okay, <laughs> dude, like the plane was so late. I did not get to Cape Cod till like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. I'm delusional at this point, right? The whole time I'm praying that the rental car company is, is still open at this hour. And by the grace of God and Alamo rental cars, they were, God bless you, Alamo rental cars at Logan airport. Uh, that's about the only thing that went right. Uh, I, I pull into the hotel. It's a motel, and God bless the owner, but he's sleeping. So I had to call him, wake his family up. He comes down to let let me in, and no sooner does the guy give me the key as I get a text from our policy consultant, Will Post, and said, "Be at your place in twenty minutes." And I was like, "Fuck!" And then, and then, not thirty minutes later, I was staring at you in a parking lot, and then it started raining, and it didn't stop. I don't know where you got the good weather comment from in the beginning of this podcast, but I was like, man, poof, man, by 11 o'clock that first morning, I was like, I am good. Like y'all can drop me off like close to land at this point. And you were standing there in blue jeans. And I don't know how you did it, man. I would have, I would have brought an extra pair of slickers with me. Yeah. That was a, that was a little old, fault dude. in the packing, but uh, you know, I think when we saw, and I guess we can transition into our first fun fish story, which was fishing with uh, captain Brian Coombs uh, on that first day, we all got into town, which, you know, I think probably by hour two, if we hadn't seen so many, you know, insane explosions and some of the action we saw on the surface, I probably would have quit out. I think I was just replaying some of those eats in my head and saying, don't, you know, don't think about the fact that you're wearing saturated jeans and it's about 35 degrees colder than when you saw, were I saw you, I saw you shaking <laughs> and I was like, I was hurt. I mean, I am not 20 anymore. I literally over 20, like I was up to like 30 something hours with no sleep. And y'all can ask Cody. I, I'll look, it was not calm. It, it was pretty windy and we were in a protected bay and it was just pissing rain, pissing rain, like just pissing. It was not, it was raining. It wasn't like a torrential, you know, God forsaken building arc, but it was raining steady, steady rain. And I was balancing on an empty Yeti cooler, like a <laughs> skateboard. So I could get elevated. Coombs has an awesome boat. He's got a 26 Jones Brothers. And I kind of did like the math in my head. And I was like, okay, 200 pounds, 50 years old, wind howling, slick deck. Could totally get up on the bow of that that beautiful Jones Brothers, but wasn't going to do it. The in last the, day and then I'm like, you. And the, you know, the last variable was the 50 degree water. And I was like, <laughs> ah. You know, like I, I'm, I think I'm gonna just balance on this empty Yeti. Well, I think, man, the, I'm like, I'm like Tony Hawk on that thing in the waves, I was, dude. I got the air. Like you beat me by about ten seconds from saying I saw visions of Tony Hawk Pro Skater too. When I looked up and you're on a Yeti, one of the uh, oh, what model is it? Like the roadie that has uh, two wheels. And it was a little like man. A, it was yeah, a little one. Like one a <laughs> I've never seen someone double haul and like hit a wheelie at the same time. It is it some hey sort of in short hey circus. But that was, you know what? Every 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 toe curling moment, uh, blood curdling, almost near death. It was all worth it when that striper ate right, right in right front of it. You were you were looking awesome. right at it, dude. Yeah. I don't care. We're not the biggest fish in the world. It was a good fish, not like a forty pounder or anything. 
that we were seeing in other places. But uh, holy Toledo, that eat! Oh, oh, I mean, that was like that was like an oil painting, man. Oh, just come <laughs> out of yeah. nowhere, stuck him right in the tongue. He was pissed. Um, put it, put the hook right where it needed to be, man. Thank you, A Rex. For sure. That was, and thank you, Brian Coombs, uh, for the tout around the water that day. And, and that was a fantastic way to kick off that weekend, right? Like no better way to fill your heart and soul with inspiration for some of the nitty gritty stuff that we did inside than experience and, and get, uh, you know, front row seats towards what we're trying to protect. So. Oh, we would, we would be, I would be remiss not to try to describe the sound that came out of Will's lungs when like a, that 40 plus pound fish just charged his fly and like <laughs> missed it right at the end. Uh, boy, I would say it was, that, it was, that noise is probably akin to putting a tack in a helium balloon and watching yeah, it, it just sounds, slowly. It sounds like a dog squeaker kind of thing. I'd say it was, it was something it's hard. To, it's hard to describe, man, but it was high pitched and it sounded like somebody had just been through some emotional trauma. Yeah, um, but, we got to we got to get our get our shots in on Will while he's not on the podcast oh, to defend totally. himself, right? That's how the yeah. podcast works. Yeah, it was a crazy noise, though, man. It was it'll go down for the ages. It's it's almost indescribable. Um, so, but but again, big shout out to Coombs. We got to grab lunch with him afterwards. He's got one hell of a fishery, um, you know, especially in the Boston area. Uh, you know, couldn't recommend the guy more. Uh, put, catches big fish. I mean, if you if you really want to catch a big striper, uh, he isn't the wrong guy to go with. Put it that for way. sure. Um, so very, very, very salt of the earth, right? Like very, you know, lives and breathes this fishery, and and I think that's uh, what translator shorted out. Man, if if anyone comes up from the south to catch a big striper, just figuring out what Brian's saying is worth the price of admission. I got to tell you, because I was like, I was like seven words behind him the whole day. Man, he is Boston. Like yeah. I was expecting to see like a dropkick Murphy's tattoo, and like instead of water, he had just Guinness in the cooler or something. Um, you will you will catch a lot of big stripers. You will not hear a single R in that boat the yeah, entire day. <laughs> it's really hard. It's one of the only accents I can't do, man. I mean, it is a t it is a tough accent, and like, whew, man. Um, I you I know I this, wonder, this I wonder what I sounded like to all of them, right? They're like, hey, look at the hillbilly, you know. So whatever. <laughs> well, I this might it. be a good plug to get Brent. You know, uh, we need a a thirty to forty minute audio transcription of. Uh, Brian, we'll have to get Brian on the podcast here soon. You know, we could have Willie as the translator. <laughs> I know he was, you know, I know he was born there, but I think he went to uh, he went to like speech class for four years at Harvard to get the Boston yeah. out. Wait, you we know, can go from Coombs to PhD. Yeah, yeah, Coombs yeah. To like, PhD like, to Tony. Like Brian could say stuff, Willie could translate it. I could hear him. I could, you know, I could. I, I that's a, <laughs> that's put a pen in that one, Cody. So we, so you know, we get to go, uh, we get to go fishing. Um, some really nice fish were caught. Uh, you know, our buddy Blaine Chocolate was there for Costa, and he caught a titanic bluefish on a jerk changer. Holy Jesus! I mean, I see some big bluefish throughout the year. This is a this was just this is one of those ones where you're like, well, they don't get much bigger than that. Just a giant, especially for this time of year. So we all we were all able to catch up. We go to dinner on Thursday. None of us really go out. And we're getting primed. Uh, we're getting primed to to attend the science symposium that we had on Friday. 
And the last person that spoke to me Thursday night was my buddy, John McMurray, president and co-founder of the Guides Association. And he looked at me from across a bar and he goes, why do you do this stuff? Only four people are going to show up. Don't you know that? And I'm like, thanks, John. Captain Good Optimism. Night Good night <laughs> to you too as well, sir. That that won't cause me to stare at the ceiling for three hours and chew my fingernails off or anything. But like, you know, happy, cheerful day to you too. So um, it was pretty gratifying when we opened the doors and the room was f***ing packed. Yeah. Uh, don't think I didn't look at John and, and give him the... Uh, Give, give him a hand signal that he uh he he could relate to um so so you know boom here's a science symposium we got the cameras set up we got the right people in the room you know uh actually cody why don't you give a background of how the hell this even happened before we kind of get into the agenda from the symposium yeah so you know <clears throat> this this was uh an interesting event that was somewhere set up between a a, a live podcast recording and an in-person uh, community forum mixed with, you know, a, a live presentation element. And the whole goal here was, as we've seen with public comment process, as, we, as we've seen with just about every fisheries and clean water and conservation nonprofit campaign in the last couple of years, it, it's hard to get people out, right? To get people to attend things, to get people to send public comments. And so, we took a kind of interesting approach with this event, which was, all right, we're going to get the right people in the room, the type of people that if we holler at them, whether they're shop owners, fly tires, you know, uh, state representative, policymakers, nonprofit representatives, brand representatives, we're going to get these people. These are the type of people that we holler at. They say, sweet, I'll be there yesterday. We're going to get these people in the room. Why don't we take these know, presentations? Cody, we, we can't, we can't not mention like, when we started planning this months ago, we were in whatever variant of the coronavirus we were in at the time. Yeah. We didn't know if stuff was going to be open. We didn't, yep. we didn't know, if, we didn't know if the state was going to put restrictions on how many people could be in a room. Mm -hmm. So like to all the listeners out there, you know, we absolutely wanted, I, I would have loved to have a freaking thousand people in the room. Yeah. But you know, what it comes down to is it's a gamble, right? We could have been in a position where nobody could have been in the room and then we would have just been out of luck and had a big bill um but you know we made the best of it um we invited you know key leaders from various different you know parts of the industry the whole the whole fishing world and we wanted to put our best foot forward and i gotta tell you man i'm pretty critical dude and uh and we really did we put our best foot forward uh and the whole team you know, Austin's uh, Austin Green is is working his tail off editing the video. Uh, you were there with a the soundboard, doing all the audio. We had mics everywhere. We had cameras everywhere. Um, you know, and and man, did everyone gel and come together. And it was it was a pretty cool event. So we laid it out. And, you know, of course, Costa was the big sponsor of this because they believe in science and they want to support this stuff and, and conservation and everything. Our, our best partners in the business goes to Del Mar. Um, and probably, so we did, Tony, it, Tony, we'd yeah. be remiss to not reference also how many people they had in the building specifically. Costa, you know, we've done a lot of work, uh, uh, me, you, and, you know, a, a bunch of the different faces involved over bunch of different projects over many years right it's a lot of it's easy for someone to cut a check 
uh, it's even more impressive when you get, you know, half their brand team to show up in the room oh, to want to learn hey. more to, you know, want to be able to translate that to their social, their brand campaigns. Really yeah. impressive. Hey, they put, they put, um, Costa tried to put all their employees, you know, on, uh, to get them like a little bonding time, you know, pre-tournament, put them on a real short fishing trip. And I know, I know my buddy, uh, Jogo over at Gorilla Tactics Sport Fishing took them out, took a group of the ladies out and they crushed it. Uh, they call it their first stripers. And that's, you know, that's the genius of the way that Joe Gugino runs things over there uh, in his little part of the world, Acosta, um, you know, builds that, that teamwork, gets people, you know, to understand what they're fighting for and why they should love what they love and, and get those real world experiences. And uh, I know Jogo, again, he, he crushed it, put, put them on fish, nothing but smiles. Um, so, you know, go back a couple of months, Cody, we're, we're thinking about this and it's okay. It's going to be a striped bass science symposium. What are the, what are key elements that we have to have? Well, I mean, in my opinion, you know, you have to have, if it's going to be a science symposium, you have to have the scientists that are on the ground that are doing work within the state. And that is mass DMF. And we were lucky enough to get Ben Gahagan and Bill Hoffman. Uh, ben is currently, I think, working through his PhD at UMass Amherst. Um, and he's doing a ton of research on striped bass. And Bill Hoffman has, uh, I, I hear Bill Hoffman is a pretty sharp bluefin tuna fisherman, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. I think he, I think he's uh, maybe well known for that. Um, but I'll tell you what, he's one heck of a scientist too. And uh, I was super excited to have them. I, I think that that was a very well, uh, well received talk and you know, it was fascinating to me. They're, they're tracking these fish and they're, they're looking at migration. You know, what, what does the striped bass migration really look like? Is it, is it just really truly up and down the coast or, you know, are these patterns changing over time? And, and man, he had these graphs and all this science behind it. And it was, it was fascinating. Jamie Boyle was sitting around me at one point and he turned around and looked at me and said, well, that explains everything that I've been seeing for the last 10 years. And when Jamie says that, that's when you're like, I guess that's how it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Talk about fast track to understanding your fishery. I mean, you think about all the scientific classes you may or may not have sat through in high school and didn't want to, this is when you listen to them talk for an hour and you've gained, you know, this is the type of information that, the generation before us spent two, three decades trying to figure out grassroots on the water, watching the fish swim by on the same day every year for years and years and years and years. I mean, these, this was just a compact, super concentrated, highly educated perspective on the fishery about where they go, what their preferences are. I mean, the, the whole game of making fishing repeatable, whether you're a recreational angler or a guide, is, you know, finding patterns. And this was a one-hour presentation of the most highly documented striped bass patterns uh, for the Northeast. So, really, really impressive stuff. We had, um, you know, I think I think again a couple of months ago we're laying this out, and the guys from DMF agreed to have it, and we were like, "Oh, thank God!" You know, this this is you know this is this is great. This is going to help us out a lot. 
And then we said, I think the next box that we had to check is we said, hey, you know, the ASMFC meeting was May 4th. It was only like two weeks. We need to talk about the May ASMFC meeting. So we invited our friends up uh, from BHA, uh, Mike Woods and Borgatti from BHA. And, uh, and they sat with McMurray, who was obviously at the table as a commissioner. And, uh, and kind of went blow by blow through the meeting, what we, you know, what we gained, if anything, we lost it, you know, and it was, I, it was weird, because we've been cramming that down people's throat for so long, Cody, but there were a lot of people in that room who are not from the East Coast, and were are not as entrenched in striped bass fishing as we are. And it, it was, I think they got an awful lot out of it to have those three guys up there kind of the telling the story of what happened and, and how things are going to change and them relating it to their trout fishery out West, or there's some fishery in the Gulf of Mexico or their fishery in Florida. And you can kind of see the, the wheels in their head moving. Um, and, you know, I got a lot of comments afterwards and it, to me, it said like, you know, Jesus, we need this here. You know, like we got so many problems, and, and we say on the podcast all the time. Everyone's got the same problems. The fish just look a little different. So, um, I think that was really well received by the by the audience. Um, you know, for us, we've heard it all a thousand times by now. But you know, I don't know. I I think it I think it was helpful. So um, yeah, and I think that you know, continuing that conversation, whether or not that's someone that's listened to this podcast thirty times and is like, okay you know, I'm in tune to what has happened, or it's a, uh, a first time ear to this stuff is just transparency, shining a light on what's going on there. I think I we do not need to go down the rabbit hole, I won't even say it and, and try to upset and fire off the the Tony tangent on the wonderful commission and everything they've done. But, uh, you know, to the only way we reform what's been going on there for years is to shine a light on it and talk about it every chance we get to. So, uh, to hit a new audience with that, I think was really important. And, you know, to hit the same faces who have heard it from us for the past years, um, also valuable, right? Keep the fire burning. So that way, we, you know, the, the, our uh, army of advocacy is is ready to strike when when there is the next opportunity. Oh, for sure. And that's, you know, that, that segue is, again, a couple of months ago, we're talking about, okay, we got this limited tiny little chunk of time. We want to give people the best bang for the buck. What do we do? So we got to do a fisheries policy 101 class because that's the question. That's the number one question that I've got my entire life. Every, you know, most common question, uh, you know, how do I make a difference? How do I get involved? What do you know? What do I do? How, how do I, how do I contact this person? You know, what is, what does this acronym mean? And um, Willie and I, we're able to go through uh, a real, real concise fisheries policy 101, how things work, how things operate, how it's organized. Um, and, you know, there's obviously, I think, a need for a 102, 103, 104, 201. You know, it's, uh, it is what it is, man. No one ever said it was easy. We complain about it all the time. But you know, I really saw a lot of people in the audience when we were giving that talk, looking up and kind of taking notes and, you know, kind of their head turned sideways like a dog. Here's a dog whistle. Um, you know, it uh, I think that made a difference, too, because people what I found is people want to make a difference. They don't know how to do it, Cody. Right. Yeah. I mean, 
A hundred percent. And I think it's important to show the basics, right? So, okay, here's, so you're interested in getting involved. Let's just start at the top layer on the cake. Here's a couple little things that you can do, because I think when people hear about, you know, these commissions, certain boards, certain votes, there's all these things going on, these things you have to understand, all these calculations. Hold on, let's take a step back. Here's the bare minimum. Okay, here's the second step. Here's this third step. There has to be some sort of ramp up process to get people involved because if someone comes to comes to ASGA and says, hey, my name's Cody. I love fishing down here, but I don't know anything. How do I get involved? If you put a, a spawning stock biomass calculator in front of them and say, hey, this is the formula and this is how you have to understand this in you know conjunction with juvenile indices, they're like, hold up, what, what the heck? I just... Is there something, can I just say, I want to see more fish in the water to start? How do, what is my baseline? So I think those conversations are really important and it's not necessarily to dumb it down, but there has to be some sort of entry level way to get your mind thinking there. You, you can't expect people to make the leap to PhD level understanding of stock analysis. Um, you know, what is that baseline? I think you guys hit that perfectly. So I taught a, uh, <clears throat> I taught a class uh, at my son's school this year. I was voluntold to do it. Um, and it was kind of like an outdoorsy, uh, crafty, like craftsman kind of thing. Like, and so instead of liberal arts, it's, uh, it's called common arts. So I taught them, you know, how to, how to navigate, uh, you know, how to kind of read the woods. If you ever get lost, maybe, maybe not tools that kids, in city schools in New York need, but you know, pretty cool stuff. I taught him like animal tracking. So I also taught him how to tie a fly and I taught him how to cast a fly rod. We took him to the pond today. So they could catch a fish on a fly that they tied kind of as their final exam. And uh, one of the kids got a little frustrated because it's a lot different when you're standing next to the pond and you're casting versus just standing in the grass and being like, look, I can cast, but when you got to fly and all this other stuff and the crazy leader and it comes a little bit more difficult and you know, your flaws kind of show a little bit more. And I, and he goes, how are, how are you doing this? I don't understand. Cause I was cooking fish and handing, you know, using this little blue gum. I was cooking fish on every cast. And I turned around and I said, experience, dude. I said, you know that, you know, all the kids in the school are freaking brilliant. So were you good at, you know, a kid's like a tennis star. He can play the piano. He can, he's a violin. I mean, he can speak like eight languages. And I'm like, do you, don't you remember when you first started, like all these things, how you sucked and you get better? Well, guess what? You know, you want to learn about fisheries policy? You're going to suck for a while. Uh, it's not something that's second nature. Um, but you know what? If you care about something, you should get off your ass and fight for it. I dare say there's an obligation to do so. So if all those people who've asked me the questions throughout my life are not completely full of shit, which I don't think they are, um, we did a fisheries policy 101 course. Um, so Cody, the other really exciting thing is uh, the false albacore tagging project. I'm pretty stoked for that. That was one of our presentations. Um, I think that's going to go over pretty good. What do you think? I think it's going to be awesome. I think when people hear a little bit more about this, I think it might even inspire them to look uh, within their fishery for own examples here. But we talked about, you know, putting some science behind some of these fish that are a little bit underappreciated or not even if underappreciated because Albies have a nice little cult culture in New England, but uh, not underappreciated, but maybe undervalued or they just don't get the limelight that some of the other big stars do. 
when we look at fisheries, when we look at recreational fishing and ecotourism, you know, there's, there's beautiful tarpon all over every sign in Florida, right? There's striped bass and murals all over Cape Cod. Uh, ain't a lot of, ain't a lot of depiction of Albies, but there's a lot of people that book trips or spend thousands and thousands of dollars throughout the year, uh, to specifically target these. So to start to bring, uh, more science behind how we look at these fish, I think is really important. I think, I think a lot of people are going to get behind this and say, hold on, wait, so we can learn a little bit more and we can protect. Okay. Well, what about this fish down here? Right. You know, why, why don't these get any love? So from that perspective, I think it's going to be a huge hit alone. And I think very similarly to the DMF study, we talked about striped bass. This is an idea to, or an opportunity to learn a little bit more about these fish. Right. I mean, we don't know much of much of shit about where they go, why they do what they do. We've got some trends about, you know, how to catch them when they're inshore or they're near shore. Right. And we know they're in Florida. We know they're in North Carolina. We know they're in Massachusetts. I know down by me, they're a little bit bigger, but they're not around for as long. Up north, you maybe get a little bit more abundance and they do, you know, why, why are these fish foaming in six inches of water on Cape Cod as they pin bait to the beach? But down in Florida, we can go a couple miles offshore and catch a 25, 28 pounder, right? I mean, there's, there's something different going on here. We got some stuff to learn. So uh, I, I get really excited about that type of stuff. It might be my science background of Anytime we don't know anything and we have the opportunity to learn something, I think that's, that's a pretty big deal. Well, you know, uh, I think, I think one of the big mistakes when, uh, fishing groups try to do science is they say, I know this is going on and I just need a little science to prove it. So then everything is pre-organized, ordained to, be the solution to some anecdotal stuff that they're seeing on the water. And I think the cool thing about the way that we're doing this, so we've teamed up with new England aquarium, have some awesome sponsors and, and a whole bunch of people. And we'll be uh, that are, that are helped or helping us out on this. And we'll be rolling this information out in the upcoming weeks. Um, but we have the funding to tag, uh, a good chunk of Albies, uh, in two years with acoustic tags. So that means that we'll be able to follow these little suckers around the ocean. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the array that we're going to catch them in is with the new England aquarium. It's uh, it's right. It's right there. Cape Cod, Nantucket vineyard area. And so these buoys have little receivers on them and we surgically implant these little things that, beep acoustic tags when they swim within range of one of the one of the buoys each one has a unique identifier in the beep don't ask me how um but essentially if the alvey doesn't get eaten by something and it survives release uh we theoretically should be able to start seeing how these things move around because we don't have any clue and that's step one if all goes as planned, we can start accumulating information on these fish because we don't know anything about them. And our guides from Maine, well, northern, little, even maybe a little bit north of Boston to Florida, rely on Albies a couple of months out of the year. All of them. All of them. It's the one fish that connects us all. Y'all hadn't caught them on light gear. You're crazy. It's ridiculously fun. So fun. You just rip line out. 
and they deserve a little bit of respect. I think they get them a, a ton of respect in New England, some respect in North Carolina. You know, um, I know tuna guys really particularly don't like them when they're trolling, but you know, whatever. Uh, in any event, we're going to be doing a pretty cool Albie project, and we announced that at the symposium. I'm pretty stoked about it. I like the little buggers. They're a challenge to catch. Um, you know, and I look forward to finding finding things out about them that we didn't know. But you can't go into this just thinking that your science is gonna, you know, answer the or be the be the solution to a problem that you're seeing. Uh it doesn't work like that. We don't know what the hell the science is gonna say. We have no clue. They could tell us something we certainly don't want to know, you know. The only thing I know about Albies in Florida is do not bring a nine or a ten weight in the boat if you're going to come try to catch them. It's a little bit different. I got a bunch of people that say, you know, all right, whatever, come bring down my own gear. And then you show up with a little eight, nine, or ten weight. It's not New England down here. They got about a 25 pounder that 20 minutes into the fight, you'll be going, oh, maybe, you know, can I borrow that 12? We just catch one more and uh, I'll just break this one off. This one was just an experience, right? Uh, they, they get pretty damn big down here and it is a very different game. Uh, they're back. It's, like a, it's a like a little mini yellow fin or like a big black fin. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it's 20 pounds, dude, you're going to go a little bit. It's not, it, that isn't like a seven or eight pounder in new England. Like no, it's I really mean, every, different anyone, fish. Anyone that's fished for Albies, you know, they got their little beak mouth. Right. And uh, the last one, big one that we hooked at the end of last summer before they rolled out, um, it came up was trying to, it kept biting the tail of about a 15 pounder that we had hooked. And then we, we kept that one hooked through to this one, fought it most of the way to the boat, barrack, giant barracuda, like 30, 40 pound barracuda comes up, eats half this thing. We pull half of it out of the water. Just the half we pulled out alone was probably about 10, 12 plus pounds. And that little beak mouth, I could fit both fists into. So they're, they're a little bit different down here, but I'm excited, man. I think, I think, there's something here that we don't know. And I agree with you that you can't have an agenda, but what you want to learn, let's just learn something. Yeah. Let's the more that we know, the better we can manage the fish. That's the message. Not like, Oh, we told you all along. We're right. You're stupid. Like, no, our people rely on this fish. We, so we care about it. We don't know anything about it and we probably should. So, good segue into another another one of the panels we were fortunate enough to have um sasha daniel chuck from keep fish wet talk about the ongoing research that she is doing along with her husband annie daniel chuck um on you know best practices uh i mean they do this for a ton of different species but of course they do it for striped bass as well i know andy uh andy just got some funding um to do some more research and i know willie is uh i think a pi on that project so we'll be doing work with uh with andy uh on on some striped bass stuff coming up here in a little bit we're super excited about that um sasha you know uh it's it's surprising that that um there were so many people from so many different places in that one room and all of them were excited about going to catch a striper. And I think they definitely learned some lessons from Sasha because maybe they weren't familiar with, you know, what the best practices are and, and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and, you know, kudos to them because uh, the more people they can reach, the more educated people are going to be and the, the more chance the striper has of 
of, you know, going out there and becoming a 50. Um, if, if we can treat them right when we, when we release them. So that was, I thought that was a pretty good, uh, pretty darn good, uh, presentation from sasha i think i think people land uh, learned a lot about fish handling release research and um and you know we really appreciate them joining uh joining the day i think i think a lot of the people in the audience got a lot out of it so we had this weird thing we had like this weird time slot to fill and um you know we were like oh you know do we have another, another science thing what do we do we've got a you know we it was just just one of those deals where i think we had a lot of stuff on the table and we were thinking about it and then and then for the uh for the for the panel that we were kind of had a question mark over um cody said hey i want to i'd like to do a panel because cody's our social media guy and uh call it conservation in a digital world and and how to teach people you know not only the fish policy portion of it but basically how do you change the world with your phone? Right. Because we can do that now. You don't have to sit with a typewriter. I know this may come as a shock to some of our older listeners, but <laughs> you know, there's no more, not a lot. Not everyone has a typewriter. You know what I mean? No one uses snail mail anymore. Uh, and if you know how to use your phone for conservation, you can be a pretty friggin' that is, it is a, it is a pretty big equalizer. So uh, we had Jenks on there with you. Yep. Um, Peter Jenkins of saltwater edge. Because Jenks is uh, Jenks is a sales and marketing guru, so we kind of had like, you know, the older generation with the younger generation, and uh, and coming to terms with how you activate and get people going. I I loved listening to that. Um, I know I live a lot of it, but uh, you know, when people hear that, when people who aren't in the room hear that it's really going to click with them. They're yeah. going to, they're going to, they're going to be like, Hey, wait, wait a minute. You know, I, I can do, Holy shit. I can do this. Look at that. I got a phone. I can do this. thought it was pretty awesome. I know and you were on the panel, so you can't say much about it. You know, you don't really like to talk about yourself, but I thought y'all did a really good job. And for all the listeners who are like, why in the hell are these guys on a podcast telling about telling us about an event that we couldn't come to? Well, we taped it guys. And late. Yep. So yeah, we're gonna so, have it in digital. We're gonna have Cody tell him like yeah. So so the whole kind of method to the madness behind this was okay. You know we talked about we might have some limitations to to get people out during certain scheduling. Okay, we might have some health and safety restrictions that might affect this event. We, maybe we'd want to get a couple hundred people in the room. Okay, well maybe we can only get fifty or sixty or seventy. But what if we could translate this message to a couple thousand? Right. And so to be able to take each presentation, it's going to be converted into a video. We've got a couple different ways. All right. But to ask people to listen to a 30 minute YouTube video might be pressing uh, for people's schedules as well. Well, what if we made them into these podcasts that I think this podcast has been fantastic for uh, proof of concept for a different way to reach people with nonprofit messaging, with conservation messaging, fisheries policy messaging. We've never been able to communicate. Uh, really complex details in a long form way until podcasts became a thing and became popular. So all these presentations we're talking about, you know, people probably think, dang, hold on, you guys only hit on that keep fish wet thing for 30 seconds. I want to know a lot more about that. Well, you got an hour coming at you directly from Sasha's mouth about these best practices, everything 
that people got to hear, you know, your ticket to attend that event is going to be sitting in a podcast. It's going to be on social. It clipped out. It's going to be in YouTube videos. There's going to be ways for you to attend this on your own schedule. So that was our goal was it was a invitation only for year one small scale event that is also going to reach the masses. And, you know, what a perfect way to transition out of what we just talked about conservation in a digital, digital era. Well, what if I can, you know, take a couple thousand people and give them a digital pass to this event to attend on their own schedule. That's what we're about to do. So I'm really excited about that. I'm both excited and not excited because I know I've got hours of work ahead of me to try to convert all this stuff and get it out to people. So in, in that sense, you know, uh, a little bit more to come here before we get this all live, but not to, not to freak you out, but Austin, Austin, our videographer sent me a message over the weekend and I had to buy him some giant backup hard drive thing and have amazon ship it to his house if that's any indication of how much stuff we recorded and how much stuff you got to be working on i don't, I don't think it's going to be fun uh it's about man, eight hours of audio and uh for anyone who's listened to a bunch of these guide posts yes uh audio is not a one it's not eight hours of work to process eight hours of audio especially when you got chairs squeaks and god i mean some of the stuff we take out of these podcasts i listen to some other podcasts where they just record it and throw it up and I try my best to get a lot of that out of the guidepost, but house cats in the background and garage doors oh, opening oh, no, and UPS. Look, I, lo I, look, I, love, noises. I love that guy as a guest, the house cat guy, the BTT scientist. <laughs> I loved him as a that guest. Was awesome. I was like, that is why I don't have a fucking cat, man. <laughs> like that thing was annoying. I think it was all like rah, 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 running all over. I was like, Shout out to Ross. We did have, we had some cat uh, guest features here. I think we've had everything from dinosaur noises to war sounds to if, if you can make up something horrible that you would not want to hear as like an ASMR video, it has been in the background of the guidepost. So I've got about eight hours of that coming. Thankfully, Austin uh, is a badass when it comes to audio and visual, way, way more of a badass than me. And so he gave us the crash course and we had a pretty cool setup, but you know, some some audio access that is going to be tailored to your ears so that you do not want to. Oh, you should. Cody, Cody looked like yourself. Sir Mix a lot, like with this <laughs> thing in front of him. He looked at, I was like, yo, where's the where's the rave at? You know, like, like sitting there, this whole huge soundboard. Austin had his camera. He looked like a. He looked like the, uh, the the side gunner on the Millennium Falcon. Like, I just wanted to get a chair and be like, pew, 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 and just pretend it was the craziest thing, man. No, we, uh, we had, uh, we had a very good time. Uh, my comparison was it looked like everyone that went up there just won the NBA Finals. There was about 52 microphones around them, and you expect them to be like, so how'd you score 30 points? But instead, it was a bunch of, bunch of fishing nerds up there who have never had that much media coverage in front of them in their lives. So um, for that sense, it was fun. But no, man, I think to put a bow on this, this was uh, fun to catch up, tell a couple fish stories. Uh, and it was fantastic to be back on Cape Cod to really immerse myself in the striper culture again and and see that there's a lot of good work being done and that we're making a lot of progress here so i'm really excited to share this event uh thank you to all the sponsors who helped make it happen thank you to all the people that attended thank you to all the brilliant people who spoke uh that event would if that was me you and willie and and will posting up there for eight hours i think by hour three there would have been about maybe one other person in the room and it would have been austin right so all our brilliant guests that we had um 
gave it life, gave it zest, gave it impact, gave it depth. Uh, really, really excited about this one, man. I think this, I think there's a lot to come out of this. And I think this is a great template for the future of conservation focused events is give it as many eyes and ears as possible. And that does not require traveling to Cape Cod and Airbnb, a flight and eight hours of your day. Let's do it and on somebody, your schedule. And, and some unscrupulous monster from Dante's seventh circle of hell stealing your costas out of your checked bag. I, I, I don't even have words for how I feel about a thief. And uh, yeah, yeah. Whoever sporting my uh, sunrise mirror, I <laughs> hope you fall into a bag of shit um, because that's what you deserve. So, yeah, so the, the next time I go Lord, through the Delta Hub and you. I see a guy, you know, oh yeah, dude, if you see a guy in the in the untangled, divert like the frames where they made yeah. them like plastic from the ocean, yeah, with uh, just just text me, and I'll be like, yeah. I'm on my way, dude. The next time you see back. someone loading a uh, 747 and they look like they're in a Patagonia advertisement <laughs> yeah, with an yeah. orange jacket yeah. over the top. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks, buddy. Thanks. You know you. So, um, so yeah, folks, we had a science symposium. Now you know why you weren't invited, but at least you're going to get to hear all the cool stuff because we put a lot of extra uh, funding and a lot of extra effort into having audio and video files to be able to share with everyone. And we know how engaged our audience is. So, uh, so we're really going to, I think we're going to get a pretty incredible bang for the buck. Um, we yeah, I mean, hey, you yeah. know, Tony, I'd be remiss to not send a couple thank yous. We did a couple raffles, right, uh, for people that attended for taking time out of their day. So we had an incredible custom striper belt buckle from Taft Schaefer. Um, that was awesome. That was a huge hit. What else did we have? We had a uh, striper made out of a wooden quilt uh, from Nate from Trickster Lures, uh, made on the North Shore, Cape Cod. That was, that really was awesome. Cool. We I also saw that. The belt buckle was awesome, too. Yep. And we had uh, a uh, striped bass made out of old Massachusetts license plates from Cody Richardson. Um, that was, that was awesome. badass. Yeah. So no, if you're from Massachusetts, man, that's something pretty cool to hang in the, in the, in the man yeah. cave. Let me tell you, you know, that's one of those things. It's like, yeah, that's totally badass. Um, so, so thank, thank you to all three of those for the uh, kind, kind donations and supporting people who are willing to take time out of their day to support conservation. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, it gets back to teamwork makes the dream work, right? You have you have all these different individuals uh, that all kind of believe just in conservation across the board and are willing to give of their time, their skill set, whether it was the fishing guides that took people out uh, the coast of folks or you know, the people who donated stuff or Cody and, and Austin with their digital expertise. Uh, I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. I look forward immensely uh, to getting feedback on it. And, uh, and hey, nowhere but up from here. Uh, we're going to keep slugging away. We're going to keep plugging at it. Thanks for listening to the guide post. And we'll see you on the next episode. Yes, sir.